Live from the Bills' famous cheese spread studios in the downstairs pub, the Blockout Sports Pod is back on the air. From behind the master control desk in the aforementioned downstairs pub, I am your host and moderator for this evening. My name is Travis Carter. Over my right shoulder at the high top table is the big fellow, the tuna country, Matt Kempf. And bellied up to the bar, the cool hand to your Luke, the fabulous one, Freddie Bender. What's up, guys? Okay, that, you don't deserve that name. Oh, I, <laughs> dude, I don't know about that, dude. Like, I, I gotta, I gotta throw the flag on this. <laughs> no, and I, I say that because anybody that lives around here or that has spent any time in Louisville, or for that matter has been a fan of college basketball of a certain age, uh, knows that we lost a, and I don't throw this, uh, this, this, this word around lightly, but legend is, is, uh, is a word that is uh, held for a, just a very few people, no matter in what, in what, uh, line of work or what they might do. But we did lose a legitimate legend this week, and that is, of course, Denny Crum. And we are going to discuss his career, his life, uh, his career in basketball at length tonight to open up the show. Um, But uh, before we get started, I just want to remind everybody that we are on social media on Twitter at Blockout Pod. Uh, we are on Facebook. If you just type in Blockout Sports Pod into your Facebook uh, search, uh, whatever you call that, the search bu- bubble, um, and Nailed it. you can reach us on email at blockoutsportspod at gmail.com. And of course, we had the Kentucky Derby last week, which I hope you listened to Freddie and made some money. Unfortunately, I did not. Um, but that kind of got overshadowed a bit because earlier this week, as we mentioned before, we lost Denny Crum. Coach Crum came to Louisville tuna in what year 1970 1971 1971 and louisville at that time was a solid basketball program from what i understand it was obviously before our time but coach crumb came from ucla and i think when he got here a lot of people probably weren't that familiar with him and a lot of people that maybe knew that he had come from UCLA thought maybe he was using Louisville as kind of a stepping stone to what you know at that time maybe a bigger program well what what Denny Crum did was he took Louisville and made it a destination job and of course won two national championships in 1980 and 1986 Multiple Final Fours. Um, A protege of John Wooden. Six Final Fours. The great John Wooden. Six Final Fours. Six Final Fours and two national championships. And 
of course, turned Louisville into what Louisville basketball is thought of today. The reason why they're held in such high esteem is mostly because of Coach Crum. Um, not only was he an extremely successful basketball coach, he was also a pillar of our local community, um, whether it be with the charities he was involved in, whether it be, um, you know, side businesses that he promoted and had and had something to do with. He was he became a Louisvillian through and through and one of the great Louisvillians, at least of modern times. And Tuna, I just wanted to 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 start with you and get your initial thoughts or, you know, your thoughts as they relate uh, to the great coach, Denny Crum. Yeah, I mean, Denny Crum was all I knew about Louisville basketball. I mean, he was, as a Louisville fan, you just had a connection to this man. Um, he was the architect for the program. Um, yeah, like like you said, Louisville was a formidable program before he got here. I think they won a couple NIT championships, um, this and that. And that's when the NIT was a big tournament. But right. There was something about when Denny Crum came here, he just took them to new heights immediately. And he's kind of what every program wants is a guy who comes in, immediately falls in love with the job and the city, and decides that he wants to spend his life here. And as, as a Louisville fan, you um, many of Louisville fans out there know, we have a bit of a self-conscious... Uh, disorder with as far as being a stepping stone for other jobs uh, basketball program at that point in time would have been something like that uh, Denny came in and established a full-on powerhouse program and he is the reason that Louisville is known as a blue blood now um, I would probably rank us as the seventh best program historically in college basketball and uh, Denny Crum is the reason for that. Um, and one thing that stuck out with Denny to me was how he handled himself um, when he was ousted at, at UofL. Uh, that was, uh, it was a time, and I could see both sides of it. Tom Jurek came in, and uh, Louisville had been on a bit on a downslide. Um, and a move kind of had to be made, but you have this legend that, you kind of have to ask, hey, it's it's time. We got to do this. Denny didn't really want to do it. Uh, I think he thought about it and was like, you know what? I love this program. It's not about me. It's about this program moving forward. And he showed up and supported Louisville and handled that moment with such grace that I'm not sure many people could do, especially in the coaching world where ego – drives the train and uh I, I don't know man he just uh he, he continued to show up to games even sick last year he showed up to two games to watch yeah. his boy Kenny Payne coach um and for those people who uh aren't familiar uh coach Crum's coaching career uh came to a close in what 2001 I believe it was 2001 yes 2001 that was actually my he was still coaching here when I moved to Louisville okay and then I remember uh the 
I remember kind of that weird transition, and then, of course, of course, uh, Coach Patino coming, which caused a whole other segment of the fan base mm-hmm. almost to revolt in a certain extent. And it was just a weird time here. I don't want to say anything poor about Patino on this, but I, that was one thing that kind of rubbed me wrong when he got here was how that whole situation was handled with not embracing Denny Crum um, like I thought he should have. And, and I'm going to give Co- like Chris Mack all the credit in the world. When he came in, that's the first thing he did was reach out to Denny Crum and right. say, look, man, you're the reason this this Yum Center exists. You're the reason Louisville basketball is what it is. And and he brought him in, brought him to practices. And uh, the court is named. The court's named the court's Denny Crum. Named they, the, where, the, where the players live, Denny Crum Hall, that's, uh, that's named after him now. So there's a lot of stuff. And, and there's a rumor going around, and I, hope, I really hope it's true, that they're going to build a statue of him in his seat where he sat and watched the games of him sitting there. And I think that is the coolest idea. Yeah, that'd be and awesome. And I really hope that that comes true. Yeah, that's so. very cool. Um, yeah. Did you guys ever have an opportunity to interact with Coach Crum at all or or be around him? You know, I never met Coach Crum. No? Not once. Fred? No. Not a, no, I sure didn't. I uh, When I first and- moved – We've been around a lot of guys, you know, yeah. like coach-wise and stuff, and mm-hmm. it just hadn't, hadn't happened. When I first moved to Louisville, um, I moved here to help open a sporting goods store, and we had some, you know, local celebrities or regional celebrities, including, like, George Foster of the Reds, Dominique Dawes, who was the uh, Olympic gold medalist uh, yeah. gymnast. Yeah, I remember her. And Coach Crum came, and I was able to sit in a room with him for probably an hour and a half, I'm going to say, and he and George Foster kind of moved over to one side of the table, and it was really just the three of us for about an hour. Now, I probably said five words the entire time. I was in complete awe, George Foster being one of my favorite baseball players of all times and of course I knew the stature that coach Crum had but just to be able to sit there and listen to those guys talk and tell stories for an hour and then at the end I'm going to give Foster his due too both of them could not have been more engaging more uh, interested asking me now what are you going to do here at this store what is your role how long have you lived in Louisville I said well I just moved here you know, a month ago. That and seems to be the common theme. Like when you listen to tons of stories all week or people that interacted with him, I every person always said he was the nicest, most engaging guy, never rushed it, would would take the time to speak to any fan. And, and I mean. Yeah, I think one word that you have to put with Denny Crum, especially during coaching, during press conferences during all the stuff you all have talked about is patience he was a patient uh not only was he a great man and a and had this but he had this patient personality you know where you hear his players you hear coach davenport of bellerman uh the late great jerry jones uh, uh his assistant um, 
you know, I, I haven't uh, is Wade. I, I haven't uh, Wade Houston was one of his assistants and great recruiters. But you hear all of them say what a patient man he has. Never, uh, none of the players said he, they never heard a curse word from him. Never. And you just you could look at him on the court and see that he was paid, such a patient guy. Well, there was, and a, I mean patient in a great way. Not you know what I'm saying. He had there, a fire to him with that patience too. He had a right. great balance. But one of there. the great, one of the greatest. Uh, after a timeout coach, there are in-game coaches that you will ever see in your life. Yes, uh, and there's a reason why he was known as Cool Hand Luke mm-hmm. is because his demeanor on the sidelines was always pretty much exactly the same no matter what the moment was in the particular ball game. And I was going to get to that. In my opinion, Coach Crum is the greatest drawer up of plays in the history of college basketball coming out of a timeout. I don't think anybody has ever done it better than him. Um, And I think that uh, I always compared Brad Stevens when, when Stevens was at Butler, because I thought Stevens was a genius as well. And I, I think those two guys and, you know, maybe throw coach Knight in there. um, But that's rarefied air. And we were so lucky. And part of me is a little bit jealous having not grown up here uh, to have been around it for a a longer time. But I will tell you this, starting in about 19, I'm going to say 82 or 83, when I was really starting to get into college basketball, I kind of adopted a few different teams that I really liked. And uh, Georgetown was one of those teams a little bit later, but, but early on those teams with, uh, uh, Rodney and Scooter McRae mm-hmm. and those Louisville teams, I loved the way they played basketball. It was that free flowing, rush it up the court, alley-oops, dunks, of course, you know, a lot of people credit Louisville with inventing the high five, yeah. which may or may not be true, <laughs> but they were one of the first teams that ever did it on a consistent basis. And, uh, you know, for Crum, for Coach Crum to come in and give them that kind of identity, that kind of national brand, it became a national mm-hmm. brand, which I don't think it had been before he came. We were, Sports Illustrated named Louisville the team of the 80s. Um, that's something that, and they absolutely should. Uh, be. I mean, that's just insane to think about that, you know, right. Right. So it was and, that, that decade really is what made the program. And, and you know how many great coaches were under the wizard of Westwood. I mean, and we're talking about John Wooden and, and that's who he left to come to Louisville, but I don't even think he was the number one guy as an assistant on that team. There were so many other guys I think Walt Hazard was one. I know Gene Bartow ended up being the head coach at UCLA after yeah. after Wooden left, and I think he was set to be that guy. And Denny was like, "Hey, what? Well, yeah, Denny turned that job down. Then, yeah, right? yeah, I think he turned that job down. Was it? He turned it down twice. 
Right. And uh, yeah. Well, I mean, but let's let's, for- let's be honest. I mean, Los Angeles cannot match the stake that John E's will throw out there. So <laughs> that's right. I mean, and they don't have and, and suck it up. And everyone in Louisville knows what a uh, outdoorsman that Denny was. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coach Crum was a avid outdoorsman, hunter, fisherman. Like, I mean, good Lord. I mean, that you heard more of that almost towards the the end of his career than you did. Uh, I mean, him and Joe B. Hall, you know, you had, they had the show together that was well, so great. I want to talk about it. Like, I think Crum is the reason for, like, when you talk about rivalries in college basketball, the Louisville-Kentucky rivalry would not exist without Denny Crum. Right. He forced that he kept chirping and kept chirping and saying, play us, play us, play us. It finally came to fruition in, what, 1983 for the Dream Game? Yes. And then it became, and, oh, Lord, the Dream Game. And I'm going to wow. I'm gonna uh, tell everybody that's not familiar with that to go on YouTube and just listen to the, to the pregame. Hmm. To the, it's actually, it's fantastic. If you listen to the pregame, I think the game was on CBS or whatever, and... They ask Joe B. Hall, essentially, like, why haven't you played Louisville? And he gets upset, and he goes, turn that camera off. Yeah, turn that camera off. And they ask Denny Crum the exact same question, and he goes, I don't know. We've been wanting to play him for years. You'll have to ask those guys. He said, what'd he say? He (laughs) wouldn't answer you, would he? Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) right. He goes, he wouldn't wouldn't answer you, would he? And he goes... That's typical. Yeah. I tell you what. <laughs> Which is so awesome. You can go online, and um, I don't know if anyone's familiar with Adam Lefko. He used to be a uh, local radio host. Now he's big time. He does stuff, NFL, NBA, all the oh, stuff Oh, yeah, now. he's on Dan Patrick um, sometimes. Yeah, he's on Dan Patrick a lot as a guest. Um, he did a documentary during his time here, and uh, you talk about a time to be here. It uh, Anyway, it's called uh, Red V Blue, um, and I think you – that might be the redvblue.com might be where you can go to watch it. But it's tons of great sound bites from 1983 going through the rivalry all the way until 2012, I believe it was, was when Louisville and Kentucky played in the Final Four. That may have been the last year of it. And that goes all the way to the two guys getting in the fight at the dialysis clinic and, and you know right um but there's tons of great denny crumb sound bites in there that it's worth going and, and watching that well that that first dream game was a i mean it was i don't even know how to i still have the newspaper of it i saved it back when i was a kid i've often went back and looked at it uh you know, my dad was a UK fan, grew up uh, UK. I was obviously on his side. Uh, his father and brothers were on the other side. We went over to their house to watch the game, and we wa- listened to overtime in the car, <laughs> meaning we left with Jock before Sutherland. the game was over, and that's how. That game meant so much to everybody, and it, and it went into overtime, and it was such a great game. Louisville came off the winning end on that, but it was the buildup was like no other. And 
You know, what's funny about that is I was actually, uh, I had family in New Albany. And we were, for whatever reason, over at our, would be my, gosh, I I don't want to get this wrong for family members that might be listening to this, but we were over at my relative's house uh, in New Albany watching that game. And I was rooting like crazy for Louisville because, like I said, I had kind of adopted them as my one of my secondary teams. And I can remember uh, one of my cousins kind of getting on me like, why are you cheering for Louisville? And I said, well, they're just fun. I remember I actually remember I was 10 years old and I remember saying they're just fun. And they were. And. Coach Crum made Louisville basketball, for lack of a better term. He just made them fun. and uh, The rolled-up program in he hand. Was, he was also the first. It was, it was kind of groundbreaking what he did, where he said, you know what, we're going to schedule the hardest non-conference games we can possibly get, which was kind of unheard of at the time when he came in. He said – "I." He goes, if you, play, if you play cupcakes, you're not going to be ready for the tournament. And he didn't care what his record was. He just wanted, like, he'd go in as a six seed and could care less. He just wanted his team to be battle tested. And he and Coach Knight were very much on the same, mm-hmm. on the same, of, of the same idea with that. And uh, Coach Knight and Coach Crum had a had a very good relationship. And Louisville and Indiana, for many years throughout the eighties had a very good relationship mm-hmm. from a basketball standpoint. And that was another reason why I was kind of drawn to Louisville is because I had heard Coach Knight say several times that uh, Louisville is a is a program we really respect. They do things the right way. And he and Coach Crum really had a, had a friendship. It was a mutual hatred for... University of Kentucky. Well, That's I wasn't. Right. I wasn't was. going to get into that. If well, you there ever, was. if you ever read the book, A Season on the Brink. Yes. Uh, there is a uh, there's a uh, there's a whole you know a whole section where Indiana was playing Kentucky and then Louisville within a, just a few weeks of each other, and Coach Knight is addressing the team and he says something to the effect of. Uh, he says, we're going back to Kentucky, but uh, these guys that we're getting ready to play do things the right way, not like that Mickey Mouse outfit we played last week, <laughs> <laughs> okay. which I always got a huge kick out of. <laughs> All right. Denny wouldn't like y'all bashing the cats. I mean, I, I did think it was cool that him and Joe B came together and they did that show and 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 the show was so funny, man, on the radio because like for like Joe B was a talker and Denny really wasn't a big talker, and you could tell when they would be talking or, or someone would have a question or something. Like, 15 minutes would go by, and Denny hadn't said a word. Well, and the then time, they'd be Denny like, was what, in what? Well, Or he <laughs> was right. reading the paper, drinking coffee, and <laughs> yeah. wasn't really... Pa- oh, yeah, yeah, sure, Joe, that's right, yeah. Or he was hunting in Montana or wherever, yeah. Well, I wanted to actually mention this, because I think it, it's an important thing to note, is that 
you know, during the, obviously the heat of the rivalry, you know, oh, well, that's typical, like we talked about. But as they got older and after they retired, they both realized that there are much bigger things, much more important things than a sports rivalry. And they had so much in common and they came and they uh, came aside to be, from basketball. Right. And, yeah. And they came to be such good friends. And uh, I mean, they were everywhere together. Yeah. It's a you huge know? mutual They were everywhere together. And like they would go to where would they always go eat at over there? Oh, uh, Rafferty's. 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 Yeah. Prime rib sandwich. Or as, I love the coconut shrimp. <laughs> but as uh, it always cracked me up because uh, Joe B. Hall and uh, pardon me for this terrible uh, impersonation I'm about to do, but Joe Hall would always go. Rafteries. <laughs> yeah. Rafteries. We're going to Rafteries. <laughs> and I actually, you know, I learned a lot. I think I was, you know, getting older as they, their, their radio show probably started what in the early mid 2000s, like yeah, 2006, five, six, six ish. And I thought, man, if these two guys can get together and joke around and have a great time together, like, what business do I have getting upset about, you know, a Purdue fan or something like, you know, I I, I just thought it was so cool. Well, that's what makes it, I mean, that's what's awesome about sports, because sports hate is not real hate. You know what I mean? It, it, it the, shouldn't be. It, it's it, it shouldn't be. Yeah, but the people that can't separate that are just on a different level. You just don't right. socialize with those people. I don't think they know much about like sports. Like, you can throw your hands up personally. and get mad and yell at the TV, but at the end of the day, if it's you not really, real yeah. life. If like, you really know about sports and you really know, mm-hmm. then you are going to be open-minded to hear what your counterpart or your rival has to say. And you know what I'm saying? That That's just the way I see it. Uh that if you don't see the other person's side of things, how can you have fun discussing sports? If it's all one-sided, it makes no sense to me. And that's the people that I steer away from and the people that I hang tight to are the people that understand that, you know. Except for when we're talking about Cincinnati Bengals football because they're trash. People that don't like the Battle Hawks. Well, I was just going to say, Fred, uh, uh... Fred now is in, wants to invite all of his brethren uh, from the uh, Auburn Tigers to please send some emails. <laughs> War Eagle. Self-addressed. Well, hell, I stamp, do. Stamped envelopes. <laughs> uh, he, will, uh, he will welcome you w- with open arms. Don't forget, at the end of the Iron Bowl, when it's all over with, they're all hugging because they all know each other. They and- all went to high school together. Their families know each other and, you know. I think it is worth noting that that's that's one thing that uh, Coach Cal did also was invite Denny in down to watch UK practices right. with Joe B. Right. And, and there was there was a big uh, respect for Crumb that, that uh, Cal really showed. And uh, as much stuff I say about Cal, that was, uh, that was really awesome of him. Well, it was a great career. He was a, a great person for this town. He deserves to have anything that a statue, whatever. Can't wait to see it. 
Uh, I know that at Yum Center uh, tomorrow or Monday, I think I think Monday they're doing a. I know his funeral is Sunday. Yeah, Monday but at Monday seven p.m. at, at 7 the Yum Center at the Yum a, Center is a celebration of life. Right. Um, I think Kenny Payne, Junior Bridgman, and um, um, who who's I can assure you that there, that there will, will be, be more there. fans there. There will be fans there that are not Louisville fans. That's how great of a man he was. And God bless Denny Crum. Uh, he left not only the game of basketball better than what he found it, but he left our city better than what he found it. And uh, if anyone ever deserved a celebration of his life, it's Coach Crum. So our uh, best thoughts and wishes to his family, to all his former players, to his friends, and to anyone who was uh, touched by this legendary, enormous life that he lived, and he will be greatly missed. And, uh, boy, it's tough to segue away from that, but we will. Oh, I, I also wanted to mention, uh, Tuna found a song that actually a good friend of mine wrote many years ago, uh, the great Mickey Clark, another Louisville institution who sadly left us too soon. And we are going to use his song about playing in the Metro Conference as our outro music tonight, which should yeah, this be was really a cool. Suggestion from my good buddy Eric, lives up in Indianapolis, uh, diehard Louisville fan. Uh, nice. He texted me the other night and was like, you guys should should probably do that Metro tournament. So I was like, you know, that's a great idea. Man. Well, folks, I wanted to uh, start the show with this is it, <laughs> but I just can't do my Michael McDonald, Kenny Loggins that good <laughs> right now, but it was in everyone's mind. I heard it on the radio a couple times, uh, uh, yesterday and day before. So, uh, that was cool too. Cause anytime you hear that song, you think of 1980 national champions. Yeah, so please stick around till the end of the show tonight because uh, we will have uh, the late, great Mickey Clark's uh, ode to Louisville basketball and it really a kind of a cool snapshot of a moment in time uh, that, you know, it, it wasn't just Louisville and Coach Crum that made the eighties. So cool. It was the, it was the rivalries and the teams they were playing and especially in the old Metro conference. And so stick around at the end of the show, uh, to kind of take your, especially if you happen to live through those times, it'll be a great, I think, uh, trip down memory lane for folks that, uh, that lived through that and want to remember. Can I segue a song into our next, uh, Thing. <laughs> that, of course, is the call to the post. And as I mentioned earlier in the show, if you listened uh, going way back several weeks, uh, Freddie 
had the winner in his, uh, you know, in his breakdowns almost every week. And Fred, I understand. I was scared of him. I understand you had a uh, you had a decent uh, you had a decent weekend at the betting window. Is that is that or is that not correct? I did, I did, and it wasn't. Uh, now let me explain something here. <laughs> if we didn't have a, a four, three or four horses scratch, uh, I probably would not have. Uh, I probably would not have been so lucky. Uh, however, that's why I have the book, and the book is something that I carry in my pocket with all my everyone. A lot of people on here know what the book is, and it's my derby preps from February and on, and I go through it and I make notes and this, that, and the other. And on during dur- after we left during the week, I told everyone there were some horses that I was scared of. Two of those horses were Maj and Kings Barnes. And I, I didn't know where to put them, but I knew that they they had me worried. And I I, I gave my horses and, and long story short, I I kind of went through and, and throughout, you know, everything changes Derby every day. So I knew when we got off here, off the air on Tuesday, that good Lord, you got Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday. So much can happen in the Kentucky Derby in that time. And boy, did it ever. Uh, I mean, you know, we even talked about favorite scratching on Derby Day. If you If you looked at a list of those, there would be at least... I can't even tell you how many so, in the last ten years. Let me ask you a question. And another, and it happened this year, literally. All right, say Forte ran in that race, and he was to win, and then that news came out today. Um, how marred would the Kentucky Derby be? Well, well, let's get to, let's get to that after we talk about the win. Okay. Because I do want to hit on that, but I don't think that Maj should be thrown around in that yet. You got to let the people. So that we did. have to do an homage to Maj. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. But I do want to talk about that afterwards because I almost feel like we have to. There was too many things that happened. Yes. Derby we do week have to, to not talk about that. And I definitely want your all's opinion on, on you that. don't want my opinion. Well, I mean, whether it's good or bad, because I know a lot of people have bad and a lot of people have good. But to the Venezuelans that did it right, to Javier Castellano, who got his finally got his derby, one of the great jockeys yeah, really and great people in Louisville. Uh, he was 0 for 15. He got thrown on that horse from... Uh, from the trainer Delgado, it was a match made in heaven. Uh, the horse had a great post. He was he was uh, he he did give Forte some runs through a couple Derby preps. He was high, highly improving. And when I went back to the drawing board after my number one and number two horses by Friday, I had Practical Move and Forte. As my one and two, and then I'd moved Angel of Empire down, and two fills was moving up. And I went to the drawing board on Saturday morning, and I went back through, and I literally moved Mage, Maj, 
up for Forte because that was his rival in these preps. And I took practical move out, and I moved two fills up. And it, that's just kind of how I did it and how it worked for me. And everyone's like, well, how'd you end up getting those? Well, that's how I got them. And uh, I, I was lucky enough to uh, put 50 on Maj to win. And then uh, I made a mistake, I think, and had 30 on him again, <laughs> which is a great mistake. But uh, had the, you know, the super with disarm in there. I was all over all that. And, uh, and I know some other people that were too, but Maj... Two fills ran a great race. Maj came, caught him. Uh, I couldn't believe two fills got up there from the uh, from the uh, three hole uh, and ran the race that he did. Angel of Empire started a little too late. He was at one point last. Tappet Trice was dead last. His jockey definitely waited too late. I'm not quite sure what he was doing. Uh, and then Disarm came flying like we thought he would. Uh, after Skinner, another long shot we kind of liked and were scared of, and he ended up scratching as well. So that's how Disarm moved up. And those things happen, you know, on literally on Friday and Saturday while you're at the Oaks and stuff and you're discussing it at night. And uh, so, yes, I did do... Uh, I did have a great derby. I, I, uh, I did well on that. Uh, but but I think Hit Show ran a great race in the one hole to get fifth. I thought that was uh, really good. I know some of these horses aren't going to be in the Preakness, which we'll talk about next week. But I do want to give Maj his due. They all deserve it. They did it the right way. Uh, the horse came out well. He's going to run in the Preakness. And now that that has happened and we have a derby champion and everything has moved on, now we can look at some of the bad that happened. I uh, refuse to call him Maj. It's Maj. Well, I'm calling him Maj, Maj uh, sounds until like my a, check comes in from uh, TVG in the mail. It sounds like a color that old women wear. <laughs> Maj. Or, or it reminds you of Maud. Remember, didn't you, that was one of your favorite shows growing up. Was she a golden Maud. girl? Yeah. Okay. Uh, but, you know, we had seven horses die, which I don't want to hit on this forever, but it is a bad thing. There are issues happening. Uh, and I'm not quite sure if it's Churchill Downs. I mean, we had Safi Joseph get suspended. He had two horses that dropped on the backside. I'm not even sure. I don't know the total ins and outs of that. I don't think they were euthanized on the track. One of them, uh, or two of them, after a race, uh, right? We had, yes. Well, we yeah. had two after them on Derby Day, yeah. the, the race after the Derby. Was it the Frost, for something God's Frost? Sake. Like, he finished And up. some of these horses were the favorites. Mm -hmm. uh, they're definitely, you know, I, I mean, I'm baffled by it all. I don't even know where to start. Well, uh, to me, it's a difficult scenario. It's uh, it, This is maybe going to be a... A, not a great um, allegory or whatever, but I, I kind of feel like the way I feel about the NFL or football in general, where I love watching football. Uh, we love it. We talk about it all the time, but we have to understand the fact that there are real life ramifications 
to the people that we watch on television week in and week out for our entertainment and obviously for a tremendous paycheck. Um, But we know that football in a lot of ways is not necessarily a, um, a great thing for people to do for a long life or uh, a life of, can of, I, of mental health, just yeah, hang on I'll just let, a second. I'll let you. Um, and horse racing is a little bit different because, well, it's a lot different because these animals can't tell you when they're not feeling fit or not feeling right. And it's up to the trainers. It's up to the people that oversee um the sport as a whole to step in. And I think that's what happened with um, Fred. You mentioned the trainer's name earlier. And it, Safi Joseph. Yeah. Something was going on with his, with his horses. And I think that there is a balance that we can take. Uh, we obviously love horse racing we love the kentucky derby we love everything that goes around the derby but we have to be willing to talk and understand the fact that there is an underbelly that is not a pretty thing as it relates to horse racing and unfortunately this week at churchill downs that kind of came to the forefront. Thank God that nothing happened in the derby race itself. But it's something that that we need to recognize that things aren't necessarily, you know, there there are big issues that need to be dealt with in the sport of horse racing oh, yeah. if it is going I to mean, yeah. continue on the way There's that we want to see it consistency. continue on. I'll let Tuna uh, say his spiel, yes, please. But, but consistency is the number one thing. No, I like like your analogy with football. Um, I think the difference there is free will. These are these are human beings that, that think for themselves. They know what they're getting into. There's no doubt about and, it. And uh, with it. horse racing, I feel like we use these as disposable objects. Uh, we overbreed them. Um, race them to their limits, drug them up, do whatever possible, and then dispose of them immediately after if they're not hitting what they want. Right, and, and that's what has to change. There yes. has to be something. There has to be you know, a governing body that steps in and says, you can't do this. And I mean, for well, crying well, out loud, Bob Baffert is not, you know, one of the great, uh, you know, personalities in the history of horse racing is not allowed to train at Churchill Downs right now because he was found to have been giving, you know. Well, here's the thing. Before you say what he was giving or what they were giving and everything, in di- here's the thing with horse racing. There are different rules in different states for for everything, ointments, uh, basically, what Todd Pletcher got in trouble for is giving someone a Tylenol instead of an aspirin. Okay? One's generic, one's not. 
So uh, and it's not like they're there shooting them up with, with something. And, and you know what I'm saying? I'm not saying that that hasn't happened. But by certain other trainers in the past or whatever. And and they've uh, and I know some trainers have gotten in big trouble uh, and been banned for three or four years, literally, for something real bad. But some of these trainers that are that are high uh, uh, trainers that are, that are uh, high profile trainers or something, I don't think Todd Pletcher was shooting Forte up with something. He was giving him an ointment or an oil. I mean, there's so many different things, creams. And things that they put on these horses, oh, you can use that in Kentucky, but you can't use it in Illinois. Or well, you can't use it in Louisiana, but you can lose, use it in New York City. I would think an entity I mean, like the Horse Racing Commission, who is already under scrutiny, would clarify all of this stuff instead of just coming out and saying, you're suspended for drugging a horse. Right, like, exactly. You know what I mean? So they're yeah. shooting themselves in the foot for not explaining it like you are. Right, and 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 for that matter, uh, Forte in the Derby, the morning of when he was scratched, they had four veterinarians, well-respected, that said that horse was okay to run. The, the veterinarian that was on site was the one that said, he wasn't. So, and that 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 just that's that's the problem in a nutshell. Uh, you know, you have I don't think anyone knows what to do and how to do it, and they've got to get all together and make it. And that's the word that I'm using when I said it earlier: consistency. There has to be a consistent. Uh, there has to be consistent rules and regulations on every track. And, uh, you know, I feel like Churchill Downs is the one that's stepped up to say, hey, Bob Babbert, we're going to challenge you. We're going to suspend you for this, that, that, and the other. And then they have seven four horses down their track the next year, uh, the next derby, de- derby week. And it's like, and I know they're looking into all that, but here's another thing. That Forte horse, the re- that. That was his first race of the year, folks. He's ran in seven. So that was the hopeful stakes uh, in September 5th. And now they've just come out that it was a banned substance or whatever at their track in New York. And now he's suspended. He's, uh, I think, Pletcher got 10 days and $1,000. And, uh, obviously the horse was, uh, uh, the horse was disqualified Forte for that, for that win. But, but are you kidding me? Like, so, so this comes out September 5th. I mean, I don't get it. So it's very confusing things. It's so confusing. I can't keep up with it. I I mean, I'm no, uh, professional on any of that stuff. Believe me. I just know that everyone knows that it's happening, and it's kind of like the the elephant in the room. You know what I mean? Well, so, I think that anybody that's honest with themselves that has followed horse racing for any length of time understands that there are multiple, multiple, multiple problems with the sport in general. Right. It does not take away. Oh, no, from, you're right. It does not take away from the fact that we love the triple crown races. We love the sport 
but you have to go in with a kind of an honest, you have to take the blinders off and go in with an honest, you know, an honest mentality that, uh, this sport needs cleaning up. It needs somebody. And as we just discussed, none of us are, are in a position or experts enough to know how it needs to be done. It's been compared to boxing a lot. But something needs to be done. Right. To clean I mean, the look, sport look, up. Look what, Indy, uh, look what uh, uh, stock car racing had to do when Dale Earnhardt Sr. died. It took him, it took that to happen to an icon for them to change everything. Yeah. Those racers didn't want all that crap in their car. They didn't care. They're crazy uh, NASCAR racers, and I'm not a NASCAR, uh, uh, but you know what I'm saying? It took that in order for them to change. And I will say this, as it relates to motor racing, it wasn't just NASCAR that was affected by that. It went to every level of motorsports where they forced you to wear a closed face helmet. You had to have the Hans de- the Hans device which kind of tethers your neck so that you can't suffer the catastrophic injury that cost Dale senior his life. And that's the kind of thing that was actually a really good point, Fred, because that's the kind of thing that needs to happen and it needs to happen quickly because People are not going to put up with this stuff. And it's, a you know, seven horses passing away in a week at a single track. That stuff, as we've seen, is it made national news. And people, it's, horse racing is already a niche sport. And it's it's going to become more and more that until they figure out a way to clean it up and make it, as you said, consistent right right what was that device called the hans device you need to put that on when i get ready to clock you after uh after your team beats mine and your chiefs beat my bingles <laughs> i'm talking to so you you're, tuna. you're already prepared to take put a that loss device on are you already prepared to lose <laughs> like what what is that you're already conceding no and, and no. boy <laughs> What a way to get into this. No, yeah, it was a great a derby. Transition. Hey, great derby. Can't wait for the Preakness. We will talk about that. Uh, we will, and I hope people don't think that, that we're you know trying to drag things down, but it is important, I think, to discuss the realities of sports, even if it's not necessarily pretty or fun. But uh, but we try to stay away from that as much as possible. But it did. It was something I felt we needed to address. And with that being said, uh, the NFL schedule was actually released today. And I know Tuna, you are all over that, and uh, you probably have some things to say about some uh, some marquee matchups. And I know that uh, you and Fred have already been going back and forth off air about uh, your teams playing against each other and of what is setting up to be a big-time national television game. Uh, Tuna, what are your initial thoughts uh, as it relates to the NFL schedule drop? Well, it's it's good to be Super Bowl champs because we were rewarded (laughs) with um, six primetime games, which is nice. 
We open the season, kicking off the NFL season on Thursday night against Motor City, Dan Campbell, and the Detroit Lions, which is a scary way to open the season because I like that Detroit team. I uh, a big thing about week one that stands out to me is you get that Monday night game with Aaron Rodgers and his new New York Jets oh, God. against the Buffalo Bills. Yes, which that is will be fun. Looking forward to that. Um, we have two Germany games this year. Um, I think they're going to take place in Frankfurt. Don't start fantasy players. <laughs> well, I believe in Jacksonville is going to be playing in London two weeks in a row where they're actually just going to stay over in London at that time. Don't start fantasy players. <laughs> they're just going to move that team over there. I mean, it. it it's I, a matter of time. I think the NFL really wants to, but I just oh I have a hard God. time seeing the logistics of it happening. Uh, good luck signing free agents. The tax codes, everything's just going to be. I heard uh, earlier today, and possibly this is just something. It might even be a temporary thing because I heard today mm-hmm. uh, that the stadium in Jacksonville is needs re- such yes. extensive repairs. Two years. They said it would take two years. They're going to put a bigger pool in out there in the end zone? <laughs> well, hey, here's the deal. Are you telling me? I that- love that pool because you always got some dude in, like, blue jean shorts and, like, so a couple Bud Lights just getting rowdy. Yeah, they're saying they're moving the cock- ultimate cocktail party, uh, Georgia, Florida. They're that that Also, that the Jacks – how could you be the Jags right now coming in as one of your uh, off one of your best years ever? You are hot to trot, ready to go. You got pretty boy Selson Blue as your quarterback. He's ready to take everybody on. You got all these players, you got all this momentum, and then you're not going to play in your home stadium. I mean, this happens, are you kidding man. Me? I mean, this happens. Like you, you've seen the Raiders played in the Coliseum forever, where they would transition from baseball field in, in, in early weeks. Yeah, you well, had Minnesota, but you had the Minnesota Vikings, who were coming off of that uh, what NFC Championship game where they lost to the Saints, and they had to play at the University of Minnesota Stadium because their roof collapsed. Right, um, and they right. were building that new stadium that ended up being a little bit behind. I, get I mean, it, like but these bad these stadiums. In my like these stadiums need work. Like they have to come in, they have to do renovations. Like you can't like yeah. Camp World Stadium. <laughs> God. That place is rough. I Won't be th- going back there anytime uh, no. soon. I don't think you can renovate that stadium <laughs> no. to Reno- renovate it with a bomb. To a level like that I would ever the, go yeah, back. It's uh. like tailgating on the Waterson Expressway. I felt like uh <laughs> I felt like when Freddie and I were there, we were tailgating at Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> <laughs> but that, I think that kind of, you know, good, great for the NFL. We'll get to that. Uh, but I think that kind of moves us into, is there something going on Saturday? You're damn right there is. What? Oh, um, yeah. I think we got to do another RIP to the Washington, D.C. defenders. Uh, fan bases because they're dead. This is all Arlington Renegades. Oh my gosh. I've heard it all folks as a outsider battle Hawk. Look, let me tell you something. Beak shut. They put a rubber band on my beak. I can't (laughs) say the call. If you put, or you give Big Game Bob two weeks to get ready for something. <laughs> Big Game Just Bob. go on and hang it up, man. You're he, talking about he's, Robert Go Orring. on and hang it up. This defense, <laughs> this defense is not going to give up more than three points in this game. 
Travis. I'm saying a shutout. I'm maybe Shut a late out. field goal. I'm saying a final score somewhere around nine to three, maybe nine to nothing. Wow. I I, I mean, folks, I'm going to go ahead and tell you before Travis unloads here that uh, Freddie <laughs> Benders uh, and AJ McCarron over here have uh, we are taking DC minus six and a half. Love that number. It's a good thing you won on the derby, so you got bucks. plenty of money to lose. <laughs> what do you think, Travis? I think the only thing that is going to outnumber the number of um, beer cups in the DC Defenders beer snake <laughs> will be the points they score. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to say DC wins 31 to 13. Wow. And flip-flop score fulfills their destiny that I saw coming from the beginning of the year as XFL champions. Now, let me ask you something. Did you see the trophy (laughs) that they presented to DC when they won their division? Yeah. Um, the basketball that you gave me on the show a few months ago was a lot nicer than that trophy. Yeah. <laughs> what was it? I was going to say, was the over-under on how much they spent on that trophy? It had to have been $50. Hey, man, you're one tight budget. You're one's a tight budget. What, would they get it at Hobby Lobby? Uh, the, the Rock is not made of money. Yeah. The Rock <laughs> is not made of That's what money. I was saying. I, I was like, couldn't, couldn't The Rock have just given them and said, Here's a thousand dollars. Make us a nice trophy. Well, dude, that's that should be the main thing is to have a beautiful trophy. Well, I'm going to tell you, the trophies that are behind your right shoulder, Fred, that I got in 1985 for winning the city championship <laughs> in Bloomington, Indiana's little league, are more well made and look nicer. Would look nicer on television. This thing. Was a like a silver, I don't know, like a silver half sphere. And when the guy, it's a it, paperweight. Yes, it looked like it weighed one pound. And when the guy held it up, the funny thing was, <laughs> you could actually I see this. You could actually see the little wing nut underneath <laughs> that, that 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 held it together. Held it together. <laughs> It sounds to me that these highfalutin DC people are unappreciative. I mean, they couldn't find some good I, I limestone. I mean, look, you know what? You fight all year for it, and then you're just not happy with it when you get it. You can't have it all, guys. I do want to make a side bet with you guys before we get to the NBA here. I want to get a side bet with you guys. Will the championship game attendance beat the highest attendance that the St. Louis Battlehawks had? Ka-ka! No. Uh, the only way this happens Wouldn't is Wouldn't that if, be embarrassing? Isn't that embarrassing for you two if to the know that? If the city of San Antonio decides to give free beer to every person that enters that stadium. <laughs> Why well, um, don't you, if you could, maybe you have something for the St. Louis fans. Like I don't know. We've got of, about 8,000 rowdy Arlington fans that I could see that would caravan down there. The game but, clearly should be in D.C. It is... I mean, they're already trying to throw things towards Arlington. I'm not happy about it. I'm gonna. I'm thinking about filing 
a formal complaint against the league that this game should be in D.C. in the maybe not the the most people, but in the most electric environment in all of the XFL, which is in that <laughs> soccer stadium in D.C. And defenders, I know you won't let me down, and I cannot wait to see the game on Saturday. Well, maybe if their fans did not so entitled and were so <laughs> upset about that trophy, they, they'd consider doing it. I think it was a big and screw don't you. forget, folks, we, yeah. we picked these teams on a whim at the beginning of the year. I took St. Louis Battlehawks. These guys took the two that are in the Super Bowl. I literally uh, came down to the I second almost made the Super right Bowl, before I said it. And, man, isn't it cool how it all turned out? Uh, That's something you say a lot, isn't it? Good we luck. almost made the Super Bowl. Oh, my shit. team almost <laughs> made the funny. Super Bowl. Oh, I will never forget that. <laughs> all right, all right. That I can't wait. We'll be watching it in Freddy's uh, Garage Bar uh, Saturday night, yep, 8 that, o'clock. Yep, that'll be awesome. Um, we also, I don't know if anybody has anything to say. about. We talked about hockey last, uh, last week. The hockey has... Uh, of course, again, been incredible. Uh, we're watching the playoffs as we as we record right now. Uh, we're watching hockey on one TV. We've got the uh, NBA playoffs on the other TV. Um, who who has been the in the NBA? Now you're starting to see tandems. I notice people have been talking about this all day today too, but I already had it on my on my uh, notebook here. And it seems like that there, yeah, you have three people, but you got your Jordan Pippen, you got your your guys. Uh, who do you think is the number one tandem so far, thus far, in the NBA playoffs? The number one mm. tandem, because it's not easy. It, it's not an easy. You're right. If you can think of, I'm going to name, can you want me to name some tandems that are going on here? I want you to give me yours. Okay, well, I, I personally think that the number one tandem is thus far because I feel like they've overachieved. And there's really two overachieving tandems in my book. But I think Jimmy Butler and Bam out of Bayou are... Uh, because of what Jimmy Butler's doing, like the Heat, I don't think that people thought they would be this far. I don't know. The East, you know, they did take down the Freak and Milwaukee. But, uh, and I think that LeBron and Anthony Davis are, are really uh, overachieving as well for the Lakers. I don't think anyone thought the Lakers would I be think this far. The biggest tandem out there is obviously LeBron James and Lonnie Walker. Um, <laughs> Lonnie Walker's and, and no disrespect to Steph Curry and Draymond Green, but and, maybe they are the best. And let's let's not forget that uh, I was swayed late, but I originally had the Lakers getting through the West. Right. I changed my mind at the last minute. You did. And as we record right now, it looks like. Denver. Well, Denver's up by 20. Yeah. In yeah. the second Denver. quarter. And now you have to how about Jokic and who's that other guy? Is it 
Is it uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm having Jokic's a... right hand and Jokic's left hand. Yeah, Great it's Jokic. Yeah, Jokic's left and his right. <laughs> no, who? Uh, I'm I'm having a brain. Uh, who's who's the guard? Uh, Murray. Yeah, Murray. I would say Jokic and Murray are are playing really well, but they've got a lot of other pieces playing well. Well, Jokic is just such a such a different kind of player, and so I don't know. I I just love watching him play. Oh, I know. How about Marlon? How about Max Marlon? How about Maxi and Harden and Embiid even? Uh man, Harden and Maxi are playing some ball. It's like I told y'all the other night. I think Tyrese Maxi has become my favorite player to watch in the NBA, just because he always smiles. The kid's always like he, he just looks like he's having a blast. He playing. does. Right? He doesn't care, and, and he's so good. You're right. So he is good. Yeah. I mean, he needs to shoot more. He passes. He'll drive to the basket and dish off, mm-hmm. and you know he can lay it in. And he, I, he, I just want him to be even more aggressive. I do think that we got to give some respect to Jalen Brunson, uh, who is playing some serious basketball Man, for the Knicks. That, that game he had last night, and I, I think I said it a week or two ago. The game he had a week or two of I it, mean, he was unbelievable last night, and he has been unbelievable through most of these playoffs. He has, he has, and 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 a tandem that. Really has fallen off, in my opinion, but they won tonight and played hard is Brown and Tatum. Uh, Brown played real good. Tatum's in a, kind of in a funk right now. Well, and, uh, of course, we had uh, our friend from the show, uh, Eric Eichenberger, on a couple weeks ago, and he actually texted me at the end of the last Celtics game basically saying, I think this series is over. I don't think they have a chance to win. Well, guess what they did tonight? Game seven is coming. One on the road in a they, most needed game. They went out there and won on the road. Right. And now it's game seven, and right. I can't wait for that one. I can't either. Man, is that going to be, be Saturday? And you, I think it will. I think it will. Hopefully it's Sunday. I hope it's Sunday, but yeah. it may be. But I think, and, and then you have the la- the final tandem, and they haven't, really played up to par even though they can uh like tatum and brown just did and that would be durant and uh as we're watching right now durant and booker um and i i just think they're with eight and out and stuff and and who knows what the lakers now anthony davis Got hit in the head if he doesn't play right. says he's, the way he's, he's probable so hot, for game okay. six because he's been hot so uh but man, these these playoffs isn't it crazy how you have these tandems, and then you got to have that third guy. Whoever gets that third and fourth guy, that's right. Who's, but but you know, I don't know. Draymond Green blows me away. I mean, last night, first first mid, second of the game, he's already. <laughs> The refs. I mean, he's in their face. I'm like, dude, they just tipped the ball off. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't give them room to to get a glass of, or get a drink of water. Nothing. He's just all over them from the beginning. It has to wear them out. Yeah. Uh, without them kicking him out. I mean, he's getting calls. 
He, I mean, they called LeBron yesterday, uh, last night at the be- in the first half for a for a second call. Uh, I don't think they've done that all year. No, but it's going to be interesting. I think we are. Aren't we all the same on our? I had Nuggets and Sixers. I'm still Nuggets. You and had Sixers. Nuggets and Sixers. I had and Nuggets had, and, and Celtics. Celtics. Okay. So that's going to be very interesting how they're all stacking up, but. Uh, I do think that uh, we just got to keep watching. It looks like Butler's getting a little tired now. He's, he's, he. I, I, I do think he's getting a little worn out. Um, so we'll see. I have some big bets on the Heat. Duncan Robinson time. Let me tell you something. The Heat win the East, and and if they, I will win big. And if they were win the championship, I would really win big on a couple futures I made. Tuna sounds like we have some uh, big time steak dinners coming up. With, I'm talking uh, ten dollar bets. Well, I on mean, big odds. He's gonna need it because he's gonna lose that money on the uh, XFL championship this weekend. Yeah, we're not going there. Yeah, I'm just saying. I'm just letting you know. Well, don't forget it's a numbers game. I, I'm and- trying to. I'm trying to <laughs> revamp a bet that I had on St. Louis Battlehawks that hasn't lost yet until the season's <laughs> over. So I'm trying to not only okay. revamp that bet, but win some on top of it's it. It's too late so, to hedge, brother. Um, I, go ahead. I'm, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say uh, I wanted to let people know that uh, we will be doing a kind of a bonus episode sometime in the next week or two. Uh, relative to the Indianapolis 500, which is uh, kind of my area of, I would hate to say expertise, but something that I, I would am, say expertise, but it's something that I am very obsessed with and something that I uh, have thought about for a long time. And I, once we started doing this, I thought I would love to do kind of a, not necessarily just a breakdown of the Indianapolis 500, but kind of like we did last week where we talked about traditions and memories and things like that. Uh, I will let everybody know on social media when we do that. And if you follow us, uh, it will automatically uh, drop into your feed if that's something that you are interested in. Um I wanted to throw it around to you guys just to get some final thoughts here. Um, Tuna, what do you have? Yeah, today was uh, day one of the 147th uh, Westminster Dog Show <laughs> Kennel Club. And um, from a um, handicapper's perspective, um, I think the smart money goes on Alejandro, the Belgian Malamute. Um <laughs> He's uh, a bit of a long shot here, but this might be the greatest moment in blockout um, sports pod I mean, history. He has basically an impeccable stance, uh, textbook jawline, and um, <laughs> a perfect balance on his testicles. So this is um, this is this is where I'm getting right now. I think you can get six hundred to one on the uh, Puerto Rican sports book uh, online. So that might be. I thought that was an the bet of the weekend. <laughs> Fred, uh, what do you have? Well, I've got a couple things. Please. And uh, I'm not quite sure, but I know we have some soccer fans out there. Football. Oh, yeah. And I want to say the UEFA Champions League semifinals 
have been going on on your channel during the day. WLKY, CBS, regular TV. These games are on normally on a Tuesday and a Wednesday. And uh, I want to say that Real, uh, the four teams are Real Madrid versus Man- Manchester City and Milan and Inter are battling each other. Uh, the first leg of the semis was a 1-1 tie. Real Madrid tied Man City in a great game. Uh, Junior, who I think is maybe the best player in the world right now from Brazil. And uh, Kevin De Bruyne, who's finishing out his career, both scored in that. And Inter and uh, Milan and Inter. Inter went up 2-0 on some great goals. Uh, that is leg one. We are down now, Tuna, to leg two. Ooh, and they wait. and they you know what they do? They go by however many goals you score, points, whatever. So you get two tries at it, and then they add it up at the end to see who plays in the final. Uh Madrid versus Man City is this Wednesday at 3 o'clock. Milan Milan and Inter are Tuesday at 3 o'clock. So Tuesday and Wednesday at 3 o'clock. Great fashion in Milan. Dude, let me tell you something, folks. These games are incredible. This is club soccer at its best. These are what the players do when they're not playing for their country. They are looser. They They play without all that... On their shoulders of a country, uh, I just I'm telling so you, so you're it's saying this is soccer. better quality soccer it than is, the World dude, Cup, dude. They are doing. I saw Junior do the flip over his head in mid dribble, like Pele in a in one of these games. I mean, I'm talking some crazy. And dude, here's the deal: these teams. Are you kidding me? Manchester City and Real Madrid. Like, you watch World Cup, and you said, oh, this guy is a great player for Bosnia, or this guy is a great player for Spain or Germany. They're all on the damn team together, bro. Like, these are the best of the best at every position. It's must-watch. And uh, I want to just say the final is June 10th at 3 o'clock. So uh, that will be the final. So we are coming to the end of that. And one more thing. I want to give a shout-out to Bama Nation and everyone in Tuscaloosa. Uh, We had one of our greatest fans pass away today, and that would be the great Bama Avenger, also known as Phyllis from Mulga, Alabama. from Feinbaum's show. If you don't know Phyllis, folks, you haven't been keeping up with college football. Uh, Phyllis was a great personality, a great lady. She didn't take no crap from anyone, especially, and I want to say this for her, suck it, cow turd. <laughs> that is Roll aw- tide. Roll tide, Phyllis. Yeah, that's awesome. Um uh- I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to uh, remind everyone that uh, here at the end of the show, we are going to play the great Mickey Clark's uh, song about the Metro Conference that he wrote uh, relative to Louisville and Coach Crum. Uh, 
again, we want to extend our condolences and our best wishes to Coach Crum's friends, family, and all his former players. Um, we will be doing, or I will be doing, a Indy 500 show here in the next week or so, and we will keep you posted on that. Um, other than that, uh, for the big fella, the tuna, country Matt Kempf, and the fabulous one, Freddie Benders, this is Travis Carter saying so long, everybody. It's Metro Tournament time, the title's on the line, plus a shot at the NCAA. Derby Town welcomes you all to a sold-out Freedom Hall. Good luck, we hope you enjoy your stay. We've got the Tigers in from Memphis, and the Hokies Blacksburg sent us. South Carolina we can more than hold their own. With the Seminoles on the warpath, Southern Miss and Cincy's Bearcats, and the cards are always tough when they're at home. It's Metro Tournament time, the title's on the line, buzzy shot at the NCAA. Take the floor, and they'll have to beat us or corral us to keep.